Hello, I'm Federico Ricci and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 73 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. This week I speak to Federico Ricci, the coach of upcoming Finnish star Emil Ruzoveri. Federico started his coaching career in Florida like so many other great coaches and then moved to Finland to set up an academy with former top 15 ATP pro Jako Niemenem. He tells us all about the journey, the challenges he's faced along the way and a lot more. Before we start, a shout out to our podcast sponsor, Slinger. They've added some new countries to their ship list. So head over to slingerbag.com to get more info. Also, we've had four live webinars with some great coaches and experts in tennis. And the recordings are now available to view over at functionaltennis.com. Okay, let's start our chat with Federico. Hi, Federico. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to talk to you about, obviously, your coaching experience from feedback from other coaches you're a well-renowned tennis coach and you've been doing a great job with the Finnish tennis and with Emil so just tell us briefly a bit about your co- how did you get into coaching a bit about your spell in the states and how you got to Finland when I was playing uh, early around when I was 20 21 I had a motorcycle accident and uh, uh, broke my right wrist uh, I've kind of always been a quite interested about the work my coaches did with me. But of course, I was focused on playing and uh, doing other things. But uh, when I had a little bit more time because of the accident, then uh, I picked up uh, coaching and I got really interested in it. I got a university degree in the, in the meantime um, and uh, got the opportunity to move to Florida uh, in a big academy in Florida. And uh, there I was still a little bit in doubt whether I wanted to devote myself to coaching or try to go a little bit more into business. But um, uh, some very well-known coaches there that I got in touch with, that they were working with me, they really motivated me and uh, they were a good source of inspiration and uh, made me want to pursue coaching as a profession. Great. And did you work with Andy Brandy over there? Yes, he was He was definitely, I would say, one of the main, if not the main uh, mentor, but also a little bit of a, an example of how you could be a figure to a player for his development and uh, how important the coaching can be for the development of the player. And uh, also in terms of your own, uh, how you feel about yourself, about guiding uh, and helping athletes achieve their dreams or success in general. Yeah, I've I've heard some great things about Andy. I don't know him personally, but I know some of the guys used to play in LSU. He wasn't there at the time, but I've heard who the new coach is and I've heard other coaches mention him. So it's a name I hear a lot. So it, it must be really good to have such a good mentor early on in your career. Yes, it was. Uh, it was definitely... It was definitely uh, a game changer, at least for me, for my own career and how I saw coaching and how I uh, intended and thought about uh, coaching in general. What is your coaching philosophy? Well, I don't, (laughs) I never really thought about having a tagline for my coaching philosophy. Um, I I just try to be very open-minded and still learn a lot now. 
uh, go around and uh, just try to put myself in a position that I'm surrounded with people I respect and uh, try to learn as much continuously. And that was from the beginning, from Andy and from any other coaches that were working with us at the academy. There was always something that you could learn. And going back to, to Florida, what players were you working with initially? Well, actually, at the very beginning, when I was very young, uh, like I would say, like everybody should, uh, I was uh, just working with the basic academy players. And then I built it on from there, working with uh, more uh, higher level uh, players from that point on. But at the beginning, and it was a great, let's say, coaching school for me, uh, because, yeah, you can get you can get all the diplomas and tags and uh, uh, all the courses in the world. But at the end of the story, you learn real coaching by being in contact with good coaches and experiencing with them, uh, being on court with other players. And that's, for example, something that I, I'm extremely thankful with, uh, to Andy for doing that. We were very close on court together uh, in developing some players. And some of them were simply... 12-year-old, 13-year-old, a good national level, but nothing spectacular. But I think that's where you put down the real basis to become a good coach. Uh, sometimes I see a lot of coaches that perhaps take a little bit of the jump. They go at a certain level without having really passed all the phases and, or at least not knowing some of the basic or the dedication that it takes to be on court with uh, uh, resolving some of the more basic and simple issues. I actually, I see that. I've seen that quite a bit where coaches, all of a sudden they're a top level coach. Well, they're playing with, coaching with top level players and there's been no coaching experience. I always find that a bit strange, but look, everybody has different paths, but I completely see where you're coming from. And look, no matter in what job you're in, I think college education or courses or diplomas, you can only learn so much. You got to be out, obviously surround yourself by the best possible people in a working environment. And that's where you learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, of course, the first four or five years, uh, I, I think I had to put in the time. I was on court uh, countless hours, way too many. <laughs> I don't think I would have the energy to do that anymore. But at the time I was 21, 22, and I was able to go on court at seven o'clock in the morning and uh, finish at five, six in the evening with only an hour break uh, and doing it for five days a week in the Florida sun. I don't think I would be able to do that anymore now. But uh, back then, for sure, for sure, it uh, it helped a lot because it builds a lot of volume and a lot of experiences you get on court. And, uh, you know, three hours a day being next to Andy and then two hours next to somebody else. And, of course, you learn. And I was a young coach that, yeah, I could hit the ball well. And, of course, some of these hours, I, I also did quite a bit of hitting and sparring. Uh, but it was great. You know, Andy coaching, I'm the sparring. I'm listening to what he's saying to the player. And uh, uh, that's how uh, you start and you develop. Then, of course, after... Uh, I got the opportunity of taking on uh, my own uh, my own players, and of course, then the USDA moved in next door on the same campus as us in Florida. So, of course, they brought in also some of the top American names, and uh, uh, then I got the opportunity to work with national level players and international level players, Madison Keys and Capra and Davis. Uh, those are players that I followed one on one, and then. Of course, players like uh, 
Jesse Levine and uh, uh, Dennis Kudla, Bob Van Overbrick, those were all uh, there and uh, spent time with them and at tournaments and uh, coaching them and so on. And then uh, Jarko sent a player from Finland or sent, he was kind of involved in helping some players from Finland continent to Florida. They first were a voluntary and then uh, the younger brother came to Evert and uh, that's a little bit how my first, let's say, connection to Finland started. Uh, I had known Jarko from before, but uh, that's, let's say, let's say the first big connection was that he, there was this player from Finland coming to the academy. At the time, I was working with uh, another junior that was actually number one in the world in junior, uh, Seong Chong Hong from Korea, that was part of the academy, and I was working with him. And then I was traveling with the WTA girls, Keys, David, and Capra. But of course, that was the first connection to Finland, and then things kind of evolved from there. Great. And for those that don't know, Jako Niemnen was, I think, ranked 13 in the world. He was really great player. I saw him play Davis Cup in Ireland before. And he was a force of a man. And were you coaching with him at one stage? Well, him and his manager at the time, uh, they were looking at starting something in Finland towards the end of Jarko's career. And uh, they were kind of pushing me. And it was, I believe, Australian Open 2011 that after a little bit of time that they were insisting. Jarko and I went out for dinner and uh, in Australia, Melbourne, I was there with uh, Lauren Davis. And uh, I said, you know what, I'm a little tired of the life in the US. So why not? Let's take it and let's go to Finland. And then, of course, it took some time to get things started. And uh, in the meanwhile, I was also working with Jarko and traveling with Jarko. Of course, it was towards the end of his career. He had, uh, we're talking about 2011. So I moved at the end of 2011 to Finland. And there were last, the last three, four years of uh, Jarko's career. And uh, in the meanwhile, we started something that was supposed to be for the, let's say, next step post his career and also to have a base for young Finnish players to be able to train uh, in Finland. What was the sales pitch to you? Because Finland would not be a, a huge force in tennis. Obviously, there was, he was come from Finland, obviously was a good player, but I don't think the numbers were huge. The population isn't big. It's cold. There's not a lot of sunlight. How did they convince you? Well, I have to say that I was a little bit fed up uh, with living in Florida. I'd been there for about 10 years by then. And uh, I was looking at getting closer. Parent, my parents were getting older in uh, Italy, are getting older in Italy. And of course, Finland is much closer and part of the European Union. And, uh, you know, I followed a little bit the philosophy. A little bit it was them telling me. And a little bit I thought that, of course, in a small country like Finland, if you work well, things were really at the basic, I'm still kind of are in Finland. Uh, so if you difference is quite easy, not not quite easy, but you know you can make the difference in a small country like Finland. In a country like United States, you are one of uh, another hundred. So that that was a little bit the idea behind it. And of course, they also secured a certain financial stability for the first couple of years that allowed to, of course, make a move without having to think about it too much. Of course, I have to say that. I was in a very, very good position in Florida, so it took a little bit of a, it was a bit of a risk for sure. That's no doubt. But at that time, I, I thought I thought I already started to have a, an, an okay reputation for what I was doing. So I thought, okay, if it doesn't work, then I'll take something else. 
it, it was an easier decision to make because back then I was single with no family. So it was only me and it was a little bit easier to make the decision. Now I would think about it a little bit more. And have you got used to the cold? Yes, yes, there. No, it's actually the the cold is not the cold is not a big issue. The darkness sometimes is uh, in uh, November and November and December this time of the year. So the, the player I know who you've been working for more recently is Emil Rusaveri. When did you start working with Emil? Emil joined the academy that we had with Yarko uh, when he was uh, thirteen and a half. Was the summer the september of uh 14 actually he was 14 yeah 14 he started, he joined the academy and uh i have been overseeing his development since of course at the very beginning he was very young and i was traveling a little bit with yarko and traveling a little bit with another older player uh another two older players from finland uh they were pretty good juniors. So I, I was seeing Emil mostly when I was returning to Finland and when he was joining some of the other juniors. At, but I've been overseeing basically his development since he's 14. Just a bit of context for our listeners. Emil is, is he 21? He's just entered the top 100 uh, recently. He's a big game. He, I first came really across him when he beat Dominic Team at Davis Cup. That was a big win. Were you at that match? Yeah, of course. It, it's a little easy for me to be at Davis Cup matches because <laughs> most of the team in Davis Cup, I work with them at one point or the other, including the captain. What was the feeling in the camp after such a momentous win so early in his career? I mean, it, of course, it was a great win, but I think it's important to put things in perspective. And, uh, you know, my former boss, uh, Chris Evert, uh, once told me that uh, she never let herself get overexcited about a win or over depressed about a loss because anyway the next week you got to play again uh in tennis and i kind of that that was a little bit the key part in that after that win is that okay great we prepared it well you competed well you played great but we need to put things in perspective dominic was clearly not playing his best tennis in that moment he it was after us open and he had a little bit of flu at us open so he was still recovering and the Conditions were, of course, extremely favorable to Emil because clearly Finland picked a court that was extremely suitable for Emil. Uh, quite fast, uh, good condition, and a full stadium of Finnish fans. Uh, so, uh, there, yes, it was a great win because I don't care when and where you still beat the number four in the world, uh, but we need to put things in perspective and one match is one match and a season and a whole career is a different story. But of course, you know, one thing that was extremely positive other than, of course, the win and the potential that of tennis that he displayed, uh, it was also that I, I believe that from that point on, also Dominic has quite good respect for Emil's game and Emil in general. I mean, we, we talk with him quite often at tournaments and uh, he follows Emil's development and results. So it's it's a good thing. You know, it, uh, it's definitely, uh, if, if a top five in the world gives you that much credit, I guess you've done something right. You're on the right, he's on the right track. And when you saw, when you saw Emil as a 14-year-old, did you see potential there? Or was he similar to other 14-year-olds you've seen in Florida? Um, there was good striking potential, but there was, a lot of work to do because in terms of discipline and mentally and physically, uh, 
Uh, and also technically, I mean, he, he was doing some things well and he was relying on them. There was something there, but there was also a lot of work to be done. And I think that's where he made, I would say, a huge jump between 16 and 18. He was, what, top five junior in the world, so must have made from not winning under 14, from not getting great results under 14 level to being a top five junior, that must have been an interesting transition. Like, how hard did he work? Um, I think especially more than how hard is how well he did he work in the sense that he has always been quite fragile in his junior career. So the how hard and how much has never really been a key thing with him. It was more about figuring out the way we could work extremely effectively, but without overloading, without exaggerating in terms of uh, toughness or amounts. So uh, he had uh, some injuries that sidelined him for three years in a row between three and five months every year. So when he was 15, 16, and 17. The year of 18 was pretty much the only year, and that's when he got to top five in the world, that was pretty much the only year that he was able to almost compete the whole year. Even there, he had uh, a month that he had to take off for a small uh, pain in the shoulder. But uh, at the age of 15, 16, and 17, he had uh, lower back stress fractures. And uh, the first one sidelined him for six months, and the second one for three, and then the last one for four. We caught them all very early, so they weren't particularly uh, deep, but uh, they were growth-based. And, uh, of course, that's why I'm saying it wasn't so much about working super hard or super much, but to put down the right basics in his body, building up core strength and uh, uh, developing technically as much as possible since in many, many months of the year, we weren't able to work so much on perhaps uh, uh, movement or explosivity. So we worked quite a bit technically, which of course now it's paying off because I would say on the technical side is extremely clean. Extremely good. Join over 10,000 people who have downloaded our free match and practice PDFs over at functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. Our match and practice PDFs help you plan and evaluate your matches and practices. We have some other free downloads there for you too. So make sure you go over to functionaltennis.com forward slash downloads. And another question I have for you is the challenge from obviously it takes to be a top junior is different challenger, different set of skills into being a top pro. It's a different beast, as we all know. What have you done to help Emil transition from a top junior to a, a top 100 player in relatively short space of time? He was out for five and a half months because of pneumonia uh, a year and a half ago. And then, of course, this year has been uh, challenging for everybody, I would say. So if we consider that he's been out of the junior for three years and he's lost five and a half months because of pneumonia and now because of this, I would say that yes, it's definitely a short time to develop from a junior to a top under player, especially coming from Finland where, you know, you need to kind of earn mm. all your uh, points. You don't get, you don't get many wild cards in, <laughs> not get many wild cards in Master 1000. So... I, I think, I mean, it, it took a lot of talking and a lot of motivating uh, because, of course, then instead he started getting healthier and uh, he started seeing the the potential that he could put in. But 
then at that point was really the time instead to increase the volume and increase how hard it was working. So uh, that, that I think was a little bit the change after that. I mean, up until he was 18, because he was a little fragile, we worked a lot on quality. And uh, then after we moved on into work a little bit more on the volume and the intensity of the way he was on the court and improving a lot the practice sessions. He was uh, he was very good in one on one session, but for example, he was not so good in practice points and practice sets, and that's one area that he improved a lot uh, in the last two three years. So that he understood that it's an aspect that is quite important if uh, if you want to develop from the tactical standpoint and the way you are on the court and the position you keep on the court. And then of course <laughs> the whole package had to. Uh, make a huge jump forward and uh, also the way he understands tennis and uh, uh, the way he sees himself on the court and the way he sees the opponents playing I think he has learned a lot about tennis in general in the last two and a half years Great, well that's, I, I think it's from the players you read stories about and hear about that can spend years on the tour trying to crack 100 it's the guys who can move there quickly they're the ones who obviously can progress even more and have a chance of moving top 50 quickly and 20 and ever else. But how do you, working with working with Finnish tennis, how do you instill belief in such a small tennis country where there's not that many people to look up to? And I see Ireland where I'm based here is the exact same where players, they just don't have high enough belief that they can be top 100, top 50, top 20. How do you work around that challenge? I mean, it is it is a massive challenge, but of course, perhaps Emil had the advantage that you know he thought, okay, I have an opportunity here. You know, Fed moved from United States; he's not coming from here. I have like he had the the spark of knowing that he was getting something more, uh, and if there was a chance, that's that was the chance to do it. The player that I worked that is one of his best friends actually that I worked with him when Emil was 14 and he this other guy was a little bit older Niklas Salmin and he made semis at Wimbledon when I was coaching him in Wimbledon Junior so of course you know that started building up a little bit like Jarko had just stopped his career this kid from Finland makes semi in a slam doesn't happen very often for Finnish juniors to make semi in a junior slam uh, and cracks the top 20 and he was winning grade ones and grade A's and so of course that gave perhaps Emil confidence that if he had followed what I was saying, then he could get there. And then, of course, he also gave him motivation that, well, if if Patrick can do it, then maybe I can do it. And then he does it even better. Um, So I think it was a little bit of a spark for Emil to do it. And then uh, a little bit also putting him in conditions of seeing different things. When he had one of his lower back uh, injuries, I was scheduled to go with Jarko to Rotterdam 500. And uh, I suggested that Emil was injured. And I suggested that he would come. You know, he would join us and, uh, you know, be at the tournament. And uh, I think that too, I mean, great way for him to see where you should be going or where you should, what's the road ahead. Um, We used to do, uh, with the academy, we used to do camps in Milan. And of course, I was trying to bring in players that were better than him. And um, I think those things help, but essentially... It's a lot of talking, a lot of making him believe that he can do the next step. And then with a guy like Emil, it's also, it must be renewed quite often because quite easily he 
if in Finland they are in general not overachiever. They tend to be quite uh, comfortable with uh, being mediocre, being not bad, but like it's not a culture where they try to be the best that they can or the best in the world. And of course, that kind of conflicts a little bit with sports, with professional sports. Uh, so there too, I mean, it's it's about kind of installing the mental software of the athlete and the player that, I mean, it's not bad to try to be the best you can be. You know, it's it's not, yeah, okay, maybe you get pointed the finger against because, oh, why would you want to be better than me? That's a little bit the mentality sometimes here. But, you know, if, if you spend enough weeks abroad, you realize that there is a lot other, uh, many other players and athletes that try to be the, the best in the world. They, they try to be the best they can. Um, so it, it, I think it's overall it's a combination, and uh, and of course having that spark that you can be better, uh, and you have an opportunity there, and you have an opportunity in front of you. And I mean, of course, when Emin made semifinal at U.S. Open, kind of came in the sense that okay, you know, I lost, but I lost with a match point against the guy that won the tournament and won a junior slam. So and. Then he won the junior master. Ah, okay. Then and then he won a twenty-five right away after the junior master of twenty-five thousand. So, you know, uh, you have to put him in condition. I always say that the target needs to be big enough that it can be hit. It's the same thing on the court, but also in general in the management of a play, young player's career. You know, you need to get to the big tournament when you think that your player has the level to feel comfortable there and that he can compete at good level. You know, if I had thrown uh, just because Emil won the junior master and I throw him in a master 1000 a month later, it just doesn't have the experiences. He's just going to get beat up and it, it, he needs to build it up a little bit from there. Slow and steady, not too slow, but you're right. You seem to have guided him really well, moving him up up to the rankings, which is very interesting. And speaking of other Finnish players, there's a few I saw Otto Vertanen. Is that how you pronounce his surname? Yeah, he just actually just won his first future yes, two days ago. I saw that, so which which is great to see. All of a sudden, you know, I think Emil's success will push other players. It's it's a bit of an infectious thing isn't it where one player does well then Emma's doing better then another player does better and it, it's what we're talking about that's you need to surround yourself by these players yeah and I mean what, what we did with the academy when, uh, now we close the academy because Emil takes 130% of my time so there there was no sense of keeping it open but all all these and Yarko has other interest in other interests between commentating and uh, and Davis Cup captain, so it, it didn't. We couldn't really split our times to keep it open and dedicate as much. But back when we had the academy, you know, all these kids were part of it. And like I said, Jarko just retired, and Patrick Nicholas Salmin and with me, we went to the semis at Wimbledon, motivated Emil. Then Emil made the semis at U.S. Open. Then Otto won Wimbledon doubles, uh, and then. Uh, uh, you know, Emil wins his first future and then Patrick won his first future and then uh, Otto now wins his first future. And then, you know, of course, they, they I, I don't know if they push or motivate each other. They, of course, put also a little bit of pressure on each other. But I think it's good also because, you know, we all pretty much practice still in the same place when we're home. So it, it is good for them anyway. Yeah, no, I think if you can create that environment, it's unbelievable. What is your dream academy setup and location if you could build your own place right now 
Well, I mean, of course, the weather makes a tremendous difference. I mean, you, you would need to have it in a place where you can be outdoor and a major international airport is close by and turn and you can drive even maybe possibly sometimes to tournaments. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know, honestly, if I would uh, if, if I would open again an academy and I don't know if I would want to work again an academy in, in all honesty unless it's a very special or specific setup i i i don't know i mean i perhaps i've passed the time <laughs> to to do that and how many weeks of the year i know this year's been a bit of a all over the place as we all know but would you expect to be on the road i think the coach has to be ready to do 25 30 maybe even 35 weeks of traveling a year and it's very tough for the coach i mean that's tremendous workload and traveling load especially for coaches that that have uh, families and usually the ones that have enough experience then usually they already have families that mm. things go like that so uh, it, it is uh, a tremendous amount of work and dedication that the coach puts in for d- developing the player but it's needed i mean it's pointless to say i mean all the young and upcoming players they have coaches that have been with them for many years and they are fully dedicated to the development of the player. I mean, look at Musetti with his coach, uh, Davidovic with his coach, and, uh, you know, they're all situations like that. Uh, Deminar with his coach, and uh, almost all of them. I, I don't see many players that have gotten up there and they're young that they've been jumping coaches or they have uh, six different people traveling with them in a season. Yeah, no, you're right. You need to fully invest. You need to be invested in the player as well as the player being invested with you and you become, you know, you're part of the family. But so it's a week off for you this week, is it? Yes, yes. Emil is uh, alone there in Bratislava this week. Great. So uh, uh, hopefully he can, he's, he's not playing until tomorrow, though this will air next week. So we'll know the result next week. And last question for you, Federico. Juniors, what is your advice for juniors who want to be professional players? I mean, the essence of juniors is competing. Uh, essentially, is competing. I mean, it's having the, the experience, build the experience and compete and see what it's like to be a player on tour, deal with the fact that conditions change. And especially for for players from most small countries like Finland, like Emil uh, 16 was winning national championship uh, without dropping a set. So th- there wasn't enough competition for him here. So of course he had to play juniors international to have the competition and to have the experiences. Otherwise you play where you're comfortable all the time in the three, four clubs of your small country against the same three players and with the same balls in the same condition in Finland, indoor all the time on hardcore. Whereas the experience of having to go, I don't know, to Milan and play the great day on clay, maybe it's raining, it's windy, uh, having to deal with that for a season that kind of helps you dealing with the challenges that you might have to deal with once you're a professional player. Great. So juniors, well, if they can try and travel further afield and play some matches and put yourself into tough situations and you learn. It is about the experience. It is about even, you know, don't worry about ranking, but on the other hand, you need the ranking to have the next experience. You know, you need that ranking to be able to get into a tournament that allows you to have the next level experience. I mean, I don't really care if you finish the junior career 18 or three, but of course, you know, if you finish in the top 10, then 
you give yourself a chance to maybe play the junior master, which is under the spotlight of the media. It's something that you might benefit from later in your career. You get the chance to have these junior exams and stuff like that. that and coming from a small country, you perhaps wouldn't be able to get in in some tournaments otherwise. Uh, but that's about it. I mean, I don't think there there is plenty of examples of junior uh, players that didn't go anywhere anyhow. Well, look, uh, thank you very much, Federico. Appreciate your time. I hope you have a great week with your family. Put the feet up and relax. Actually going on court now. <laughs> At least your your family's close by. You'll see them tonight, I hope. So that's, that's really important. But uh, grazie mille. Appreciate your time and thanks a lot and speak soon. Ciao. Have a good day. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Federico. It's great to see his commitment to players and he has the qualities that's needed to help get the best out of players. Really enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with more. And until then, I hope you're not in lockdown and can play some tennis. If you're not, get out for a run and stay healthy. Bye. Bye.